first Christmas songs. We'll continue here if you want to follow along. We're in we're in Luke all Christmas season, I guess, for chapter one, verse seventy-six. If you want to follow along, we've we've uh, been looking at the the song of Mary and the song of Zechariah of the last three weeks. Um, if you remember these accounts, and we kind of had this at our Bible study this morning, it's like you, you think you know these, and then as you start reading, you're like, well, there's more in here than I thought, uh, and, and the, the way things happened. Um, and sometimes, I, I hope that happens to you when you read Scripture, sometimes you'll hit things and you're like, I didn't see that before. You know, it's a living word, so there's going to be times when it hits us in, in different ways, probably where we are, and it will always give us uh, what we need if we look into it. So, so far, we've looked at... Remember what happened to Mary, a, a, a virgin who was told that she was going to have a child. And we, we go to the mat for the virgin birth, obviously, as Christians, because the Bible so clearly tells us that, both in Luke and in Matthew, um, that the Holy Spirit came upon her and she becomes uh, with child, with, with this, uh, this Christ. You know, we, we hear that word Christos. It's a Greek word that means anointed one, the one that's promised. Uh, the Hebrew word is Messiah. The Messiah is going to come, the Davidic covenant come through all of, uh, all of that lineage. And if you go to Matthew, you see that lineage. And they want to make sure you know that he's from the tribe of Judah and he's a son of David. And Jesus fulfills all that. And, we, and remember what happens. And I, I think that happens a lot to us when we, we hit things that uh, uh, make us happy. We, I don't know, do you guys break out in song? Or is that just in musicals when we do that? That's a uh, music has something, doesn't? It? There's something makes it deeper. You think about think about this for a minute. Don't think about this very long because it'll make you sad. But what if we had all Christmas and no Christmas music? Sounds like a bad Christmas movie, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I this is and and what we're looking here is they're rejoicing. They, uh, Mary has joy. She she sees that she's told not to fear that the one that you guys have been seeking all these time is coming, and she gets to have uh, the privilege of being the one to be his mother. And she does that in humility, and we talked about the humility and the meekness and, uh, and how this all fulfills the Old Testament. So it brings us to this song of Zechariah. I don't know if he sang it. Um, I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, we can let, we'll do that later. Uh, but... Uh, Last week, we kind of talked, this first part of his song or his prophecy is about mercy and atonement. We hit that really hard. That's a big problem in our world today. We don't, people don't realize what they need, right? I know it's, it's big and you know, statistically and just psychologically and obviously spiritual. Spiritually, in our country, people are seeing that the problems they have that are so temporal are what we focus on all the time and not the spiritual problem. And that's what the Bible keeps coming back and telling us. That yes, you may have financial problems. Yes, you may have health problems. Yes, you may have relationship problems. And Jesus is in all that. The Spirit is with us. But that doesn't matter if you don't have a connection to Yahweh. And Jesus, the Messiah, shows us that's what's going to happen. The mercy that comes. The undeserved favor. And then our sins are washed away. That's what Zechariah sings about and prophesies about, that we have righteousness. And remember, I've told you guys that when you see the word righteousness, it's a word about relationship. We tend to look at it, it's just we've got to follow all the rules. 
Um, that doesn't work real well in families. It doesn't work real well in your connection with God. Yes, the rules should take care of themselves if you have a good connection with God. And Zechariah had that um, uh, along with Elizabeth. So the first part of this, he's talking about what this is going to, what this is going to uh, show us is that this Messiah is going to be promised to give us victory over what we really need victory over. And, that, and Jesus, obviously, in his, his ministry, will we'll talk about that too. And then he goes on. Um, in verse 75, we hit that last week. In holiness and righteousness, we will live before him all of our days. And then verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. So now he's talking about John. Um, and I don't know what denomination he was. I've heard that he's Baptist. You got it. Yeah, that's good. John the Baptist. I think maybe he was Ephraim. I don't know. Maybe he's Lutheran. I don't know. But he was a good guy, right? And he's the one that is going to prepare the way. So you, child, will be called the prophet. So this is kind of the last in the line of the, of the Old Testament prophets. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. A prophet. He's going to be a prophet of the Most High. Well, what's a prophet? Um, I am not one, if you're wondering, and neither are you. Uh, not an Old Testament. What does a prophet do? Well, they're spokesmen for God. Um, there's a whole section of Scripture that's talked about being prophecy. It's the, the idea, what does a prophet do? We, we tend to get, you know, the, the, the kind of the secular way of looking at it is they're able to tell the future. Yeah, that's not really the main thing a prophet does. In fact, that's not where they start ever. Woo, that was cool. <laughs> Can you hear me now? That's not where they start. They don't start out with telling the future. They, what do they start with? And you, if you've been in my Bible, say they always start with repentance. And that's what John the Baptist says, and we'll look at that in a little bit. He starts with repentance, and then the predictions that come from a prophet, whether it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, any of these, is if you do not do what Adonai or what Yahweh is telling you, this is what will happen to you. And if you do do it, this is what will happen to you. So it is predictions of the future, but it's the consequences of either turning to and following Yahweh or not turning to and following Yahweh. It's not trying to tell you you know, what you're going to have for lunch. You probably already know that, right? Or, you know, what? who's going to win the game? We don't know that, but I don't. You know, you don't want to necessarily pray to God so you can bet better. You don't want to pray to God to give you the things that don't ultimately matter. But, again, it's the idea of, of having a connection with. That's what prophets do. They are the ones that God uses, not because they're necessarily more special than anybody, but God uses them. And they humbly accept that. And uh, we've said that before. If you want to sign up to be a prophet, read what they had to go through. I don't think I'd sign. Read the fine print, as they say. So what about this preparation? Well, first of all, again, you've got to crawl back into the first century. This was very big. You, there was always, if it was a, somebody was coming into town, there was always a preparer for it, whether it's in Jewish culture and Roman culture. And in Malachi, the very last prophet, look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. 
Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So this was prophesied 450 years before it happens. Isaiah 40, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And later in Malachi, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So somebody's going to come before. So then you know something's happening. And you read through the Gospels and you see John the Baptist come on the scene and he always tells what you new knowledge. Messiah is coming. One that is much greater than, than I am. But the knowledge of salvation that we see in verse 77. Saving from what? That's always the key, isn't it? That's what Jesus tries to help us understand in the Gospels. What do you need to be saved from? Many people back then thought they needed to be saved from Roman oppression. Today, people need to be saved from our fears, saved from taxes, saved from people with ability to destroy us, getting to us and, and causing harm. Really no different than it was back then, but yet within this song of Zechariah, we find out right in there to give knowledge of salvation to his people. That's what that's what John's going to start doing and Jesus is going to finish in the forgiveness of sins. I almost wonder if Zechariah knew what he was saying. You know, this is a prophecy uh, or if he understood completely what was going on. And if you, if you go forward a little bit to chapter 3, you see that his son does this in, in verse 3 of chapter 3. And John went into all the regions around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Um, I think we have that in our own culture right now. Why do people, most people, I think, if you ask them, they think uh, they're pretty good. They don't need anything from God. And I think that's what, what the culture was back then. I think that you look at the Pharisees, they, they get a bad name in the, in the New Testament, maybe for a good reason, but they're almost like, well, we don't need forgiveness of sins. We're the chosen people. And we have our own vestige of that. Well, we, we, we got baptized or we, we came forward and made a decision, so we don't, we don't need anything. We've got what we need. We don't need, we're pretty good. And we talked about that when we talked about humility. You can always find somebody worse than you. I mean, just look around. Just, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you can always, if you're comparing yourself to other people, it's always easy, right? But humility comes when you see yourself before God. Just think of the times when God shows up. The burning bush. The throne room of Isaiah 6. They just want out. They know they're not worthy. When you see yourself before a holy God, you realize you fall short, and then you see your problem. I think that's what John is trying to get them to do. And he quotes those very scriptures that we talked about. And he says, send your problem. And that, that doesn't preach well today anymore than bad did back then. I mean, sometimes I wonder if we get up here and we say, you guys are really bad. That's what you got to know. Merry Christmas. That's just half of the God. But again, if you don't know that, if you don't know you have a problem, you won't look for a solution. You think about if you, if you had 
a, te- a terminal illness that you didn't know about, and you go to a doctor, and all they want to do is look at your finances, see if we can help you there, see if you can save some money on your taxes, which is fine, but... And they're like, well, I really don't want to tell them about the terminal cancer because that'll make them feel bad. Did you go back to that doctor? But we do that sometimes to people. Well, we don't make people feel, I don't want you to feel bad either. I don't like feeling bad. It all comes down, is it true? Is it true that there's a sin problem? Well, it seems like John the Baptist thought there was. It seems like Jesus thought there was. And that's why the Messiah came, to give us access to a holy God that we have no business having. Later in, in verse 15 of this same chapter, he says, And the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he was the Messiah. And John said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I, one whose strap of sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this is his prediction as a prophet. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. You're either for me or against me, Jesus said the same thing. So this is what Zechariah is realizing, that the salvation is due, and he says that so clear in this song, is due to the mercy of God. Mercy is what it comes down to. If you don't have God's mercy, you get God's what? Justice. You want God's justice. Apparently not. And it makes us humble. And we all know that. I look around, I know many of you are very faithful believers, and you know this. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't have any idea what their real problem is. That they're guilty before a holy God. And I know it sounds like bad news, doesn't it? Especially during Christmas. I thought this was going to be a fun sermon. I really set it up that way. And it will be fun. It's, 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 it is if it's true, right? If it comes down to that. So salvation is due to God's mercy. We see this in Ephesians 2. It's a great verse to know that we are saved by grace when you believe, through faith. And you can't take credit for this, for it's a gift of God. Back to that gift idea. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So the mercy comes in. And where are you going to get this? This is the problem, and this is an old uh, seminary phrase, but the problem a lot with American Christianity and just American psyche is that we're we're, we're navel-gazers. Do that. We look inside ourselves for the solution to our problem. And a lot of times we can find that. You know, God has given each one of you gifts, and, and you can do that, but that's not where the main source of your salvation is going to come from. It's got to come from on high. And if you were ransomed, First uh, Peter tells us, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like the lamb without blemish or spot. So it starts to make sense that we have to look outside ourselves. You know, you think about when Jesus came. I always thought if we got a committee together, if we had came at the same time, wouldn't it have been better to come when Facebook was around and Instagram and what is it now? X. Snapchat, all those. I mean, think how quick we could get the gospel out. And we could show, we could have the, you know, we could have the, the wise guys and the shepherds all on CNN. 
Wouldn't that be much quicker? Do you think God messed this up? Did he come at the wrong time? You know, he came at the, the right time because, again, he came when the Messiah was prophesied to come. You can look in Daniel. It was the perfect time to come. And he came at a time when the text was the most important. You ever think about that? Did you know, Christianity is a textual faith, right? How do you know God well? Well, you pray to him. We've doing that. You're worshiping now. That's good. But what's the main way to get to know God? Through his word. Reading. Kids, it's good. It's fundamental. You know, under, that's how you get to know him better. You know, how did all of these people in the first century come to realize that Jesus, read Paul, because he fulfilled all this reading material that was there. 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 in the New. He was the one. You see this, the very last book, Jesus comes and says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. I am the light of the world. That's what he's talking about there. So we must look up for salvation. We're gonna, next week, we're going to hit Simeon's song. We're singing all over the place here, aren't we? He was looking up, and Anna was, but most people were not. And I don't think most people look at that today. You're not going to find it by looking within yourself. You have to look up to have that relationship. And he comes when it's time to come, and he goes by his timing, not our timing. He continues on to, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Uh, that's almost a direct quote from Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell on the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. I told you this was going to end up being a fun sermon. It's more fun, isn't it, when you start thinking of it from the light side and not from the death side. But again, you're not going to rejoice in the solution if you don't understand the problem. Think about Psalm 23. You know, I do, I've done a lot of funerals in my day. And you can't improve on Psalm 23. It's just it's such amazing. It's almost, it, it, it reminds you of Jesus so much. But I don't know if you knew this in our culture, that the suicide rate goes up during Christmas. Why do you think that is? I think the holidays and when we look at family members that we've lost or people look at their lives and they see the expectations that they had were not there. And it's hard for them. And what do you do if you have no light? What do you do if you have nobody to turn with? What do you do if you look at your navel, you look at yourself, and all you see is darkness? There's nothing wrong with trying to understand yourself and, uh, and trying to do better, but if you're going to try to find salvation within yourself, it's not there. You have to look up. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You can't really, you cannot improve on that stuff. Especially when in the background you've got John 10, you know, I am the good shepherd, you know. The good shepherd lays his down his life for his sheep. So you have this idea of the light shining in the darkness. You know, John doesn't have a narrative about the nativity. He goes all the way back to the beginning of time when Jesus, the triune God was there creating. And he says, the light shines in the darkness. 
and the darkness has not overcome it. This is what we're looking for at Christmas time. And as I said to the kids, can't we do both? I mean, we, we think we have to turn Christmas into some sort of somber, you know, toomy type of cant that makes it all boring. This is an opportunity, I think, for the church, for you as Christians to maybe just, you don't have, I mean, you can wear the sweater that says Jesus is the reason for this season. That's okay. That's good. I like that. But again, what is our goal as a Christian? You know, what, what, what is our goal as a follower of Jesus is to get to know him better all the time, right? And think about that. Don't just try to get to know God to just get out of hell. That's a good thing. It's nice to have your get-out-of-hell-free card. But that's not what this is about, is it? This is about relating to Him, having a relationship with Him through His Word and through His Spirit. That's a lot different, isn't it? The light of the Messiah will overcome the darkness. Nothing else will. People have this darkness in their life, and we try to find all kinds of ways to get rid of it, and here we have Zechariah talking about that he will guide our feet into the way of peace. You look around the world, I just got another email from, from uh, the Jews for Jesus and what's going on in Israel right now. Doesn't seem like a lot of peace, does it? But he ended, uh, David Brickner, ended the same way he did with the Zoom call we had a couple weeks ago. And I love, and I, I said this, I think, earlier in a sermon a couple weeks ago, but it's so good. It's a really tough time for Israel. It's a lot of turmoil. It's a really good time for the gospel. People tend to look, and you know yourself, I mean, I, I, I'm looking around, I'm, I know most of your faith stories, the ones you've been here. If, that, if, I, if you haven't, I'd like to hear them. I'll tell you mine. I've got the three-minute, five-minute, ten-minute, and 45-minute version. Tell me which one you want. But think about that. When in your life, it's usually when you can't do it on your own that you look up. And I think that's what's happening. We now have the biggest request for New Testaments in Hebrew than they've ever had before. So pray for those people because we know from the Scriptures that God has a special place for the, for the Jewish people in His heart. But what would be the best thing to happen for somebody who's Jewish this Christmas? Yeah, is to understand who Jesus is. This is it. And maybe this is the way God's going. I don't know. I don't know how I'll let him take care of that. But even if they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they don't need to fear evil for he's with them. And that's in their scriptures, not just in ours, right? Think about what it, when you came to faith and how, where was God the most present in your mind and heart? It's usually when you're going through tough times. I don't like that. I'd really rather when it was good. But most of the time, we get cocky and the humility goes away when things are going well. But peace, isn't that what we want? We want peace with God. That's the key. That's what the Messiah comes to do because we don't have him in, in peace with, with Yahweh in normal course. And we, we need to tell people that. You don't just wake up and God's your daddy. It doesn't work that way. When you're born, you're born into sin, as David says. How that works, we can theologically talk about, but there's a problem, right? 
Anybody that has a two-year-old knows there's a problem. I mean, some two-year-olds are tolerable. <laughs> I like the way our, uh, our statement of faith puts it. We are sinners by nature and by choice. I think that's the way it puts it. It's like, yeah. It's not that we're the worst. It's just that we don't, in the normal course of life, have peace with God. We don't have that connection. And that's what he's talking about here, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Then you see this picked up, Isaiah 52. Maybe that's what he's thinking about when he's singing this song. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of, the, of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Paul picks up on that in Romans 10. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, this isn't the good news that you can save 15% by switching to Geico. That might be good news, but that's not what we're talking about here, right? This is, you probably know, that there's, a, there's a one word for this good news, right? It's gospel. And I think you all know, we've used this word, you know, that the Greek word is euangelion. It's where we get a word evangelism from. It's this special good news. It's the one, it's the good news that you want. And I remember preaching on Ephesians 6 a while back and thinking that if you, Ephesians 6 is the armor of God. I've got a neat uh, statue in my office, so, you know, with the helmet of salvation and, you know, the breastplate of righteousness. And I always thought that the sword was the only offensive weapon. But I was reading through this last night again, and I'm like, wait a minute. What about these shoes? And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, this is a metaphor. You don't go out and get gospel shoes, but this is kind of cool, isn't it? It's almost an offensive weapon. Where, where do we go? What, do we, what are we going to do? Bring peace to people. Well, how do we do that? Remember, this isn't the absence of conflict, right? It's peace within. We'll hit this a little bit more tonight, but the peace that we have, this word doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. You know, I, you, know you think about the, the Soviet Union for a while was very peaceful. There was no conflict. Because if you said anything, you got removed. So it was very peaceful. But that's not what we're talking about here, are we? We're talking about something deeper than that. And you know when you have it, you know when we do these Advent candles, you think about those four things that we you know, love, the agape love that's shown in Christ. You've got joy, you know, the, the deep, we've already defined that, right? The, the, the deep inner feeling that comes from knowing that your Lord is with you no matter what. And they can't take that away from you, the salvation that you get. You have that too. The hope, the knowing that the promises that God gives us, if we do follow, the prophets tell us, if we follow him, he will be our God, we will be his people. And then the peace. We call Jesus what? The Prince of Peace, right? Because he's the one that ushers that in all over and over again. So I think we got two offensive weapons. That's nice because I can be quite offensive and I like that. You know? 
the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the feet to bring it out. The rest of it's defensive, and that's good. You've got to have the defensive stuff. You've got to have the arrow-stopping things. Because, you know, we're all here. We're worshiping. We're singing these good songs. We're getting a fairly adequate sermon. When you get out of here, that's when it's harder, isn't it? That's so hard. And you, we, we have to take that clue. You're going to go, see, it's the 24th, right? So I'm not going to have a show of hands. I'm, that's a Baptist thing. We're just not going to do that. Most of you are going to probably be with family and friends in the next two days, aren't you? And I, I know your family is not that way, but some people's families, there's some consternation. You might have people in your family who don't even know who Jesus is or care. But you're going to be wearing peace shoes, right? Now, this is, the, this is the key, and I know it's hard. This is the key. Because you think about this, I, I remember thinking this. I'm like, okay, now he's going to tell me I can't enjoy Christmas. I got to talk about Jesus. You know, and you got you, you. It's like we always. Everybody has that person in the family that won't shut up. You know, it's like Jesus is the reason for this. He's like, shut up! I'm eating my turkey. You know, and there are times where that annoys all of us, right? Um, but can we do both? You know, I, I think we can do both. I mean, just treat people well. Ask some questions about them. You know. Because if, if it's true, if this all is true, if Jesus really is who he says he was, we really do need peace, we really have to have our sins forgiven to have a connection with God. Th if somebody doesn't have that, there's something deep down that's not right. And whether or not this Christmas you'll be able to help them with that, I don't know. And, y and you're, I don't know. You, you always say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll have them call you, is what people tell me. And I'm like, well, I don't know it all. Just point him to Jesus. I think he'll take care of it. This gospel is so clear. I think that's what we want, right? And it all sets up, you know, we, when we talk about Christmas, how much we have to remember that God's in charge all the time. It's kind of back what we talked about with the kids. Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. A lot of people are afraid out there right now. Not just in the middle of the Middle East right now, but in our own country. Afraid of a lot of things. There's a lot of fear out there. It's hard to statistically even say this, but, you know, I used to be an actuary, so, I mean, the suicide rate's the highest it's been in as far as we've been keeping track. I mean, think about somebody getting to the point where they think their life doesn't have meaning. And then you have the gospel just cry, I, I'm here for you. I mean, this is, this, is, this is something we have. We have the gift. We have the good news. We have everything we need. All we have to do is just try to live it and give it to them. And that's, that's really what I think Zechariah is trying to get us to understand through his son who's going to do this for us. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So what happens? This, this preparer, this Elijah-like character, he makes a lifelong preparation to be the one that ushers in Jesus. And what is his main message? Repent. That's good news, folks. That's not bad news. <laughs> and I think we mess it up when we think that we're okay. 
we are always living by grace. We are saved by grace, but we continue to live through his mercy. That's what this really is all about. And that's, if you listen to the songs we sing, there's a lot of that in there. When you leave here, there's going to be your own mind and evil forces are going to try to help you forget everything you learned and not feel everything you feel. And the only way to keep going is keep in his word, keep praying, keep listening to the good songs, keep good peers around you. That's what the church is really for. I'm so glad you're here today to worship because it shows that you understand what it means to follow Jesus. What a privilege. We've got Christians in Lebanon that can't get to the worship place right now. And they're isolated and they don't like it. And yet here in America, you can get in your car and go to pretty much any church you want and we can't get people to show up. What's the problem? What's the problem? Maybe we're not, maybe us preachers aren't getting the good news out there as well as we should. Yeah, I think that's, and, and so just like John, we want to prepare ourselves for this. We want to make sure that we're ready. But remember, when you pray, who do you pray to? I hope you pray to your father. Not your judge, but your father. You understand what a privilege it is to call him father? You know why you get to call him father? Because you believe in his son. That's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to worship. It's a privilege to be able to pray. And what a privilege. We've got uh, all kinds of ways to get into his word to get him to know better. So I hope this Christmas, as you continue, we remember where the source is. I think we know it. We just need to be reminded of it all the time. Because when the darkness comes, we've got to remember that light will be there. And not only for us, but to prepare and with the gospel of peace to prepare others to know who he is also. Let us pray. Father, uh, we thank you for the privilege of being able to lift up our voices to you, we who are not worthy in the normal course of life. But because of your son, the one that came at the exact time that he should, the Messiah, uh, the son of God, who came and showed us the way of peace. May we just focus on him, try to understand him better. What a privilege that you uh, want us to know you better. You who are perfect and have existed forever and are all-powerful and all-knowing, but yet you stoop down and come as a, as a baby so we can know you better. This Christmas for each one here, I do thank you for everyone here today and everyone who's seeking that peace that only comes from your son. May we just let Jesus take us by the hand and show us who you are. Staying humble, staying faithful. We pray in his name.